All right, well, those are some great hymns, just like this morning's. Um, I'd like to look at a, a couple of these hymns real quick. The first one is 205, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Verse 2 in that hymn starts off summer and winter and springtime and harvest. So within that, you run the entire gamut. Summer, spring, winter, fall, no matter what season it is. And it says, The sun and the moon and the stars in their courses above join with all nature and manifold witness to thy great faithful mercy and love. Amen. So the thought that Christ is in control, summer and spring and winter and fall, through no matter what we encounter, Christ is there and in control. And that is something I wanted to talk about this afternoon. And it sort of hit me this morning as we were going through the very last chapter of Matthew when we were talking about Christ giving this command to us to go out and teach others, to teach others the commandments that Christ has taught us, and we looked at some of those commandments. But Christ says in verse 19 of chapter 28 of Matthew that, well, I'm sorry, let's back up. He says in verse 18, And Jesus came and spake to them, saying, All power is given unto me. So the psalm we just sang, where T.O. Chisholm writes that all power is given to Christ in the summer, in the winter, in the fall, in the spring. It doesn't matter if you're old or if you're young or if you um, are educated or you're not educated. If you're male or female, all power is given to Christ on the whole earth for every one of the inhabitants of the earth. And not only the inhabitants of the earth, but the sun, the moon, and the stars, and all the, 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 the host of heaven joining together to sing his praises. So what a comforting thought that is to know that Christ is in control, that God is in control of all things. And I'd like for us to look at verse, excuse me, not verse, Psalm 6. Wait, that's not right. Psalm 2, sorry. Psalm 2. This is a psalm that comes directly, I think, from the book of Matthew when Christ says, All power is given to me. In Psalm 2 we read, Why do the heathen rage? And the people imagine a vain thing. We talked this morning about people imagining vain things or putting their trust in themselves. And why do people imagine that they can be in control and that the sun and the moon and the stars and the seasons would bow down to their wants and their desires? It sounds utterly absurd, but yet we do it all the time. As a, as a fallen human race, we try to dictate the parameters of our life on this planet. We try to dictate how life is, is run and what we do by our own desires and our own actions. And the psalmist here says, why do we imagine a vain thing? It says, the kings of the earth, okay, so think of all the kings of the earth. We live in an age where we don't really have monarchies that we've seen in the 19th century or 17th, 16th centuries and on back through the time of King Saul. But imagine those people that would be kings. Imagine our current administration in Washington, those men and those women who are so power hungry and so full of themselves and their own abilities and trusting themselves that they would be the ones that control the world. In verse 2, we know for a fact that the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointing saying, anointed saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. How long has man been trying to quash the spirit of love and harmony as outlined by the Gospels? Well, since the very beginning of, of the gospel. But here we read the, the, the rulers and the kings of the earth, they come together and they say, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. Verse 4 says, he that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. We need to remember as we walk out of this building and we feel the heat from the September um, summer as we're moving in from summer to fall, that the summer and the fall and the winter and the spring, they all work according to Christ's plan and design. 
and implementation and maintenance. And he that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh, and the Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath, and vex them in his sore displeasure. Sometimes it doesn't feel like that the, that the wicked are getting what they deserve. But that's because when we think of that, we're thinking of that from a very humanistic and postmodern idea of, of justice and revenge. And we think someone has done us wrong, or someone has done something wrong, and we can tell that it's wrong, but they don't get what's coming to them. Well, friends, God doesn't operate on our timeline. And we know, based on what we just read in Psalm 2, chapter, or verse 5, Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath, and vex them in his sore displeasure. It will happen. We read earlier today in Jeremiah chapter 17 that those who put their trust in themselves will be like the tumbleweed in the desert. They will wind up being lonely. And remember, they'll wind up being like that partridge sitting on a nest whose eggs never hatch. Although it seems like the wicked has prosperity today, and it seems like in the short season of time that they may get away with things that they shouldn't do, but in the end, that will not be the case whatsoever. Verse 6 says, Yet I have set my king... My holy upon my holy hill of Zion. We just read about Christ, the mediator, the righteous. Christ, the righteous, has been given all authority. And here the psalmist says that God has set his king upon the holy hill of Zion. Verse 7 says, I will declare the decree. The Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like the potter's vessel. Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings. Be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry, and ye perish away from, from the way. When his wrath is kindled but a little, blessed are all they that put their trust in him. Again, that's the recurring theme that we've seen all day today as we've been reading through Scripture. Putting our trust in God, not putting our trust in ourselves, or not putting our trust in man. And then another hymn that we sang that was also very stirring today was um, the hymn 177, This Is My Father's World. When we just read that this is our Father's world. You know, even though these kings are in control and they feel like they have so much power, that this is God's world. And we can take comfort in knowing that this is God's world, that we are His children, and that He will provide for us. And it may not be in this life that we see... Uh, ease of life and the things that you think a child of God would have. We know that this is a world where there is sin in this world and there are things in this world that don't, they don't always run smoothly for the child of God. But in the end, we know that God will protect and provide and shed His mercies upon His children. Because this is my Father's world. And to my listening ears, all nature sings around me rings the music of the spheres. So as we leave here today, let's don't forget that this is God's world. And we have been blessed to be made aware of His presence, and made aware of His divine salvation through His children, through the work of Christ. And what a, what a wonderful joy that is. All right, so back in Matthew, the last chapter, when we read about the, the Great Commission. One other thing that I thought was, was uh, interesting there that we could uh, kind of spring off from just a few minutes this afternoon. And he says, Go ye therefore, this is again the last chapter of Matthew, verse 19, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all the things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. So we look back through Matthew and we saw some of the commandments that Christ has given his children. Let's flip over and just look at a few from Luke and, and talk about those. Let's look at Luke chapter 12 real briefly. Luke chapter 12. And this is Christ speaking 
to his disciples, and he says, In the meantime, when they were gathered together, an innumerable multitude of people, insomuch that they trod one upon another, he began to say unto his disciples, first of all, and this is the command that Jesus gives. And again, it, we're sitting here today. We've been given these commandments by Christ. We are to take these seriously. We are to try to apply these to our lives as best we can. And like we read about in Luke chapter 9, that we are to take up our cross daily and look at these commandments daily and try to live up to them and try to, and try to do these things that Christ has told us. But he says to his Pharisees, beware. So we all need to beware. Well, what do we need to be aware of? Well, we need to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. For there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. You know, there are a lot of, there are a lot of people that are easily misled by what seems to be good, solid Christian doctrine. We read about today, or talked about today, this church that said, when you come to church, it's really all about you. That is such complete error and dangerous error at that. Christ is telling us very specifically, you need to be aware. You need to be careful with what you're taking in. It doesn't matter if it's from church or if it's from a secular perspective. If you're looking at movies or you're looking at things on the Internet, you need to be aware of what you're taking in and understand its effects. A little leaven can spoil the whole loaf of bread. And Christ makes that analogy several times throughout the Scripture. But he tells us specifically to beware. In verse 4, he also says, And I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body. And after that, they have no more that they can do. So we talked about how God is always in control, and God's always merciful and gracious to his children. But a lot of times it seems like there are just terrible afflictions that befall the children of God here in this world. And that very well may be physically. When you're looking at the physical body, Christ makes a very interesting point here when he says, Be not afraid of those that can kill your body, or circumstances which can kill your body, or cancer which can kill your body, or disease which can kill your body, because those things are temporal. Your body is temporal. And after that, they have no more that they can do. I read a very interesting um, book. It was a work of fiction about a man who was a barber in this little sleepy town up in Kentucky. And he's, the book is about his life growing up in this town and all the things that happened in this small little town. And one of the analogies that he gives is about when you talk about faith, think about this man who's out walking in the woods one day and he falls down a well. So think about this place. It's, a, it's a, sort of out in the woods all by itself. There's an old abandoned homestead. He doesn't see it. It's covered up with, with moss and there's trees all around it. And there's some old creaky boards that are covering this well. He doesn't see it. And one misplaced step on that board, and bam, he's gone through, straight down to the bottom of this well. And so the question he said, in this analogy, this barber, who is kind of this you know, theologian in a sense, you know, he, he has all these people come through his barber shop, and he talks about Christ, and he talks about his faith. And, um, but he says, I always think about faith like this. He says, imagine that you are that person in the well. What do you do? What do you believe? Do you think that God is there with you in that well? When you know there's no one else that's going to hear you, you're at the bottom of this well, probably could be you know, dozens and dozens of feet below the surface of the ground. You're out in the middle of the woods. No one's going to find you. There's no way you can claw your way out of this because the way it's made was built to last with mortar and it was all the way down to the bedrock. And so what do you do? So what do you think? So personally, what do you think is going to happen inside that well? Are you all alone? Are you truly there alone? Or is God there with you? Do you have Christ there with you, understanding that Christ is your salvation in that situation? Maybe it's the first time you ever truly utter a real prayer, one that really, truly makes you feel your utter dependence on Christ. Well, this is what Jesus is saying in Luke chapter 12, verse 4, and he says, I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that can kill the body 
or a circumstance like that where you're in the woods and you fall down a well. He says, your body is just your body. It's temporal. He says, but after that, there's no more that they can do to you because you'll be in the presence of God. You'll be standing before God claiming the blood of Christ as your justification to be able to stand before the presence of a holy and just God. So as you read about Christ saying that our commission, what we're supposed to do is go out and teach His commandments. This is one commandment. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of those that can do anything to you because this, this life is fleeting. Just like the seasons we read about in, 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 the, in the hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness, summer, winter, and spring, and fall, they're all temporal, and they all are under the control of Christ. Every single thing is under the control of Christ. Even you, if that was you, in the bottom of this well, in the control of Christ. So another commandment he gives us in this chapter is in verse 15, when he says, And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of things which he possesseth. That's a big one for us. We live in the most prosperous nation in the world. We live in the most prosperous nation in the history of civilization. The poorest of poor in America are still better off than the vast majority of people in other countries in the world. We are a people that are just consumed with having things. And we have been for a long, long time. It's very important to us to listen to what Christ is saying here, to take heed and beware of covetousness. Beware of wanting more, of needing more, of needing the best thing or the new thing, because a man's life consisteth not in that. A man's life consisteth not in the abundance of things. A man's life consisteth in what he does for Christ and working through daily picking up his cross and carrying out the commandments that Christ has given us. That's where the abundance of life comes from and not the things which he possesses. All right, so we've talked about several things as far as the joys or or the, the commandments of Christ. So throughout today, we've talked about several things. We've talked about how you know, today we see, we see a lot of sin, and we see a lot of people living for themselves. We see even people who are committed Christians or confessed Christians, we see a lot of times that they still live their lives for themselves. They think coming to church is fine. They think I can do that on Sunday. I can leave at 12 o'clock, and I can go home, and I can punch that card, and I'm okay because it's on my time schedule, it's on my timetable. And we've seen how disastrous that mentality has been all throughout the ages, from Genesis all the way through the Old Testament into the New Testament. And then we saw how the counter to that is to live your life for Christ and to follow, like, like Christ said, when he says that all the power has been given to me by God the Father and that you need to go out and make disciples and teach your friends and teach those that you know, teach them to do these commandments, teach them by you doing them yourself. And let's look at what the result of that is. Flip over in closing to 1 Peter chapter 1. Of course, you know, Peter was an apostle of Jesus Christ. He was there with Jesus Christ. He was always very headstrong. He would rush head, head first into, into anything when it pertained to, to Christ. He was a man that did have his ups and downs, just like Jeremiah we read about today. You know, he had the whole scene where he denied Christ three times and was brokenhearted about it, was, you know, felt left devastated. But the Holy Spirit picked him up and said, look, you're going to fail. Everyone does. You're committed to following Christ. Get back up. Pick up your cross again today and go do it and do these commandments. And he did. And, and Jesus blessed him as, to be one of the fathers of the church, not the rock. that Some people say that he is. Peter is not the rock that the church is built on. That's Christ. But God did use Peter in a mighty way. And he did so here in his first epistle as Peter's writing to a people, giving them courage and, and, and strength to live their lives, and to realize what happens when you live your life, and you live your life based on Christ's commandments and what happens. So we read in the first epistle to Peter, of Peter, chapter 1, and verse 8. 
And he says, whom having not seen, of course that's Christ, ye love. In whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. So it's interesting here that Peter's telling these Christians what they feel. So it'd almost be like me coming in today and saying, here's what you feel. You all are overjoyed. But yet Peter, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, look, you're living your lives a certain way. In this snapshot of time, these are young Christians. They were newly converted. And he's saying, think about the joy you have right now, because it's not always going to be this good. You're going to have trials. You're going to fail. Believe me, I've done it. He says, you know, there were times when I've denied Christ. There were times when Paul rebuked Peter openly because he was trying to withhold fellowship from Gentile Christians in favor of Jewish Christians. And Paul, and, Peter, and Paul goes to Peter and says, you're wrong, don't do that. So Peter had his fair share of ups and downs. But here he says to these believers, because you're following Christ and because you're, you're, you're doing what it is that Christ has called you to do, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Verse 9, he says, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. That's an interesting point, and I think one that we all should leave here today really thinking about. What is it that we find our joy in? You know, as a Christian, we can't say that we have been saved from our sins, that we can stand before a holy God because of the blood of Jesus and not have joy in our hearts because of that. How does that compute? Yet oftentimes we don't find ourselves rejoicing and joyful. We find ourselves fearful, and we find ourselves worried or we find ourselves frustrated or we find ourselves in a situation where we're not rejoicing and full of joy and full of glory and glorifying God's holy name. And Peter says, if you're a Christian doing the things that you're supposed to be doing, that is exactly what you'll feel. He's not asking these Christians, how do you feel about this? He's saying this is the result and this is how you know that you're following the commands of Christ. And he's saying, remember, I've been there and I know what it's like to not do those things. So he says, whom having not seen you love, so even though we haven't seen Christ as Peter saw Christ, we still love him because we've been drawn to him. Our hard hearts of stone have been melted away by the, by the calling, the effectual calling, that election of God as being a child of God. So whom having not seen we love, in whom, though now we see him not, yet believing, again, we believe not because we just think that it's something we ought to do. There's no, there's absolutely nothing within ourselves that would allow us to believe. The only thing we would believe in if left to our own devices would be ourselves. And we just read in Jeremiah chapter 17 that that's disastrous because our own hearts will deceive us every time. But Peter says, because you have been called effectually by God and because you are following his commandments and because Christ has given you explicit instructions on how to live your life, because you do that and believe and and Though now you see him not, yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. We sang that hymn this morning, that the Christian life is joy. Sometimes it doesn't feel like that. Sometimes it feels like rejection. And sometimes it feels like drudgery. Sometimes you open your Bible and you go through a dry season where you don't want to read your word. Or you don't want to read the words on the pages. You don't want to read God's word. If that's the case, then based on what Peter is telling us, something is amiss. And we've got to pray and ask God to show us how to get back on track and how to pick up our cross daily, like Christ tells us to do in Luke chapter 9, and do what he tells us to do in the end of Matthew, which is to go out to all people and all nations and baptize and teach and teach them the commandment that he's given us. And if we do that, then we will have that joy that's unspeakable and full of glory. Amen.